Father, we thank you so much that your word is so rich. Uh, thank you, Lord God, that uh, we have such wonderful access to it. And Lord, we don't take it lightly. As we open up your word, your revelation to mankind, we honor it, Lord. We honor your word. Lord, as we open it up and we get, begin to read and your word is proclaimed, uh, I ask that as I open my mouth, you would fill it with words of life, Lord. And that as we hear, that we would not hear the voice of a man, that we would hear your voice, Holy Spirit. No one is here to hear a man. We're all here to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. And so may I decrease that you may increase, O Lord. And as your word is proclaimed, I pray that it would not return void, but it would accomplish the purpose for which it is sent, that it would be planted in the good soil of people's hearts this morning and produce a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake and your kingdom's sake. And I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word only, but doers thereof. And we thank you, Lord, that your people are being equipped this morning to draw closer to you and also equipped to take your gospel out into the world and to advance your kingdom and decimate the gates of hell. For these things we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's turn to our master text this morning in the book of Genesis. We're continuing uh, the series that I began some weeks ago called In the Likeness of His Resurrection. And we're talking about uh, holiness. We took a little break from this series last week when we uh, were talking about uh, God's word on mothers for Mother's Day, which was kind of in the same vein as this series on holiness. Uh, but uh, we're going to continue this this morning and talk about when sin crouches at your door. And you will understand why I named it that when we read this master text. So stand with me, if you will, and we're going to read the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 4. Read with me. It says this, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, well, as we've been talking about holiness for these last several weeks, we've made the point that holiness is not optional. It's a command, isn't it? Be holy for I am holy, God says. But that command may cause some people to despair because they know their own weaknesses and failures and maybe they feel like they can't measure up. Have you ever felt like that? Well, it's true that we do all fail in many ways, but the fact is we can wage war against the flesh and win. And this morning I'm going to talk about some additional ways that we can do just that. Now, 
in Genesis 4, 7, where it says that sin is crouching at your door, I actually think the revised English Bible version of that verse is rather interesting. It says, sin is a demon crouching at your door. Now, I didn't bother to look that up in the ancient Hebrew, by the way, so I'm not sure exactly how accurate that is, but, but I, I do think that that wording is very interesting. Sin is a demon. Sin is an entity, I think was what that's getting at. Sin is an entity. It has some intelligence, and it's crouching at your door and desires to have you. So then that sin, that entity, that demon, whatever it is, does have a desire to control us. You can write that down. Sin desires to control us. Likewise, we are commanded then to master sin, just like God told Cain that he was to master sin. He was to rule over sin. Do you remember that? But how can we master sin when it seems so often that sin seems to master us? <laughs> I think some of us have felt like that before. See, we may feel enslaved to our selfishness or our greed or our bitterness, as an example. We may feel harassed by our anger, our lust, or our pride. Well, I think some of you are going to get set free today because we're going to talk about some little-known concepts about battling sin that some of you may have never considered before. So let's get into this. Let's talk about Cain and Abel a little bit more for just a moment here. You see, I want to first deal with the question, why didn't God accept Cain's sacrifice? Now, it's been speculated, you've heard me talk about this before, it's been speculated that, well, God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice because he didn't bring a blood offering. Well, I'm not sure that that's exactly true because they both brought a portion from their um, careers, from their, um, their vocations, right? One was a farmer, one was a shepherd. They both brought offerings from their vocations. So I, I think this was a tithe. That's my opinion, but it looks like to me it was a tithe. Um, so why was it that Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable? Well, we could argue the case that the quality of his sacrifice or maybe the timing of it uh, or maybe even what he brought was not acceptable. Those are all speculations that we could make. But it could also be, listen, it could also be that Cain had some relational issues with his brother already prior to the sacrifice, which made the sacrifice unacceptable to God because the heart in which he brought the sacrifice, his heart wasn't right. So let me jump over to the New Testament for a moment and give you a, a cross-reference to the New Testament. And that's in Matthew 5, the words of Jesus, verses 23 and 24. He says this, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Amen? Right? So it appears as though, if you cross-reference that to the New Testament, it appears as though that Cain may have already had some relational problems with his brother that made that sacrifice unacceptable to God. And that's why God went on to tell Cain to rule himself. Cain, you've got to rule over 
sin. You've got to rule yourself. Let's talk about just for a moment, very briefly here, the importance of ruling yourself. I want to reference um, Proverbs 25, 28 on this point, which says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, I, I love that imagery there, which is why I use that image on the screen of those Romans attacking that walled city and using those, those catapults um, to break down those walls so they can create a breach in the wall, because when a breach in the wall is created, then they can go in easily and decimate their enemies. But as long as that wall is up, they can't have access. But as soon as that wall is broken out, as soon as there's a breach in the wall, then they've got easy access to go in and wreak havoc. I, I like the Jewish Masoretic text on this same verse. It words it a little bit differently. It says, like a broken down and uh, like a city broken down and without a wall, so is he whose spirit is without restraint. Now you can fill in the blank there regarding your level, your, your area of lack of restraint. You know what it is. Your Achilles heel, maybe it's a temper issue. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it could be any number of things. You fill in the blank. But remember this verse, like a city broken down and without a wall, so is he whose spirit is without restraint. In other words, we have to learn to rule ourselves, don't we? With the Holy Spirit's help. So then, Let's continue this thought about when sin is crouching at our door. Because when sin is crouching at our door, we have to understand how sin comes about. There's a, a, there's a conception process before sin actually begins to rear its ugly head. It's conceived first. It's conceived first. All right, so let's read this in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Pay very close attention. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is lured away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. You see the process here? Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when full grown, gives birth to death gives birth to death. Now, that word that's been translated into English as the word enticed is the word daliadzo. Daliadzo. All right, so daliadzo means to lure. That word in the, uh, in the New Testament that's been, in, uh, that's been translated into entice is the word daliadzo. It means to lure. All right? And then evil desires has been translated into English as evil desires. Uh, that word is epithumia, and it means lust, okay? So temptation then, listen to this. This is the importance of this. Temptation then is the father. Temptation is the father. Sinful desire is the mother. And sin is the baby, okay? And sin, left unchecked, will lead to destruction, Sin left unchecked will lead to destruction. All right, now, I want to give you a little bit more insight about some of these Greek words that have been translated into English and give you a little bit more uh, insight from the ancient languages. 
So I want to ask the question, how are you framed? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, in Genesis 6, 5, it says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So that word imagination from the Hebrew is the word yetzer, yetzer, and it means mind, intentions, and framing. Hmm, framing. Well, how is that significant here? Well, by implication, this word yetzer means conception. It means what one conceives with the mind. What one conceives with the mind. So, I've made this point in some of our previous teachings in this series. You are what you think about most of the time. You are what you think about most of the time. See, what you allow to continually occupy your mind will, quote, frame, which is another definition of that word, yet, sir. It will frame your later intentions, desires, and then ultimately your actions. Okay? Are you following me so far? So it's very important what we allow to occupy our minds. Now, you've heard me quote this uh, recently as well. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, says Proverbs 23, 7. I've often heard it said that, you know, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. Meaning that you may have thoughts pop into your mind from time to time that you know aren't pleasing to the Lord, but you don't have to let them occupy any space in your mind for any length of time. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that, that sometimes you let, just let your mind wander sometimes, and then after a while you'll catch yourself dwelling on this stuff that you know is completely displeasing to God, but you've been entertaining it for the last two minutes, and you're like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Right? You, you have to stop yourself and pull down those imaginations and every high thing that, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Because left unchecked, those thoughts will eventually manifest into desire, and that desire will manifest into actions. Are you following all this? I'll just give you just one medical example of how powerful thoughts are. Uh, medical science has now proven that just thinking about food can actually raise your insulin levels a little, which can make you feel more hungry, which will make you want to eat more, which will make you gain weight. So if you are on a little weight loss or weight control program, Stop thinking about food, <laughs> because your mind is powerful along those lines. And again, if you're trying to lose weight, it's probably not a good idea to sit in front of the TV and watch commercials about food. Because based upon medical science, just thinking about food is going to raise your insulin levels, which makes you feel more hungry. But certainly looking at an image of food and people enjoying those meals is going to exacerbate the problem. How many of you have watched a commercial, a restaurant commercial, or, you know, a commercial for, I don't know, Betty Crocker or something, and your mouth begins to water, right? Because your mind is creating a physical response. 
This is what the Lord's trying to get across to us where this word yet, sir, is concerned and how we're framed, how we think frames our later intentions, desires, and ultimately our actions. Okay, we okay so far? All right, let me, let me continue on here. So use your yet, sir, <laughs> to your advantage then. In Philippians 2, in verse 8, uh, you're probably very familiar with this passage. It talks about using your yet, sir, to your advantage by focusing your thoughts on what we should be thinking about rather than what we should not be. See, it's not enough just to have a, a fleeting thought and say, no, I'm not going to think about that. Because you've you know, heard the analogy before. Okay, everybody, um, don't think about a pink elephant right now. Right? So what did you just think about? A pink elephant, right? So you've got to replace it with something. So that's why Philippians says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. See, it's a, it's a choice that you make. You have to discipline your thoughts just like you discipline your outer body. You discipline your actions, you have to discipline your thoughts too, or you find that your actions will start going in a direction you don't want them to go. All right? So, in fact, um, if you have a problem with anger, as an example, just start imagining something different. Just start imagining yourself at peace. Right? If you have a problem with depression, start imagining yourself happy and full of joy. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. If you have a problem with lust, start imagining yourself fulfilled in every area. Because if you allow the Lord to dominate every area of your life, and you pursue him with all of your heart, guess what? You will be fulfilled in every area, even though there may be some deficiencies. I want to give you an example of that. Since I, the last thing I said was if you have a problem with lust, start, to start imagining yourself fulfilled in every area. I had a friend, he's deceased now, but when he married his wife, they both had, came out of marriages that were very bad marriages that didn't work out, but they both loved the Lord, they found each other, and they got married. Well, two years into my friend's relationship with his new wife, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, she ended up getting a double mastectomy and having some ongoing health challenges throughout the rest of their marriage, but they were married for 28 years after that um, until his death. Now, there's a lot of people, I mean, I know some people. The wife gets sick. She can't fulfill the man sexually anymore. He trades her in for a new model. And that happens, you know, in both scenarios, by the way. Because I, I know people, even in my own family, who have, you know, they've been married to, you know, women who were married to sickly men and, like, I didn't sign up for this, I'm out of here. But this man stayed married to this woman for another 26 years, 28 in total, because she got sick two years into their marriage, and he was lovingly devoted to her for the rest of his life. And he referred to her as his hero for going through what she went through with such bravery. Don't you love that? So see, he was looking to the Lord, though, for to be satisfied in every area. He wasn't looking for something external. 
He was looking to the Lord to satisfy him in every area and was able to be faithful to his wife for the rest of his life. And I just, I, I love that. Okay, so again, back to your yetzer. If you have a problem with anger, just begin imagining yourself at peace. If you have a problem with depression, begin imagining yourself full of joy and the joy of the Lord and happiness. If you have a problem with lust, begin imagining yourself fulfilled in every area. Now let's look at the, the, the few verses right before Philippians 2, 8. And let's remind ourselves of what that short passage says. And it says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's very, very important. That's why I highlighted it. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And folks, listen, this, I believe, is what it means to walk in the Spirit. See, Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm going to say that again. Walk in the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, what's it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, if you're practicing a lifestyle of thankfulness to God and you're constantly aware of His presence because He's with you all the time, seeing everything that you do, even the inner thoughts of your heart that nobody else sees. He sees it all. So if you're practicing a lifestyle of thankfulness to God and being ever aware of his presence and seeking to please him at all times, that's walking in the spirit. It's not rocket science. That's walking in the spirit. Now, I want to direct your attention to another thought as we get into uh, this part of the teaching this morning regarding thankfulness and how that is a very, very important tool and weapon in your arsenal against sin. So this thought right here, it's very important. The seat of sin is discontentment and pride. That's what Cain suffered from, discontentment and pride. But a life of thankfulness and praise will change your yet, sir. <laughs> right? That, that conception in your mind and how you're framed. Remember, that's what that word means. The, the, something conceived in the mind that frames us. So a life of thankfulness and praise will change your yet, sir. That's why I, I, just, I have a very high priority on praise and worship in this church. For that reason. I mean, that's one of the many reasons. And why I don't see it as just a warm-up to the, the teaching time. It's a very strategic part of what God has commanded us to do. With these two thoughts in mind, I want to read them again to you. The seat of sin is discontentment and pride, but a life of thankfulness and praise will change your yet, sir. So listen, it's harder to pursue the desires of the flesh when you're practicing a lifestyle of thankfulness for what God has already done for you. That's a really key thought, so I'm going to say that again. It's more difficult to pursue the desires of the flesh when you're living a lifestyle of thankfulness for what God has already done for you. You see, listen, going back to the garden, um, since we read out of Genesis, let's, let's talk about Adam and Eve for a moment. You know, um, if Eve would have focused on what God had already given to her and her husband then Satan's temptation would have had no power over her. 
Let's, let's explore this thought for a moment. See, Satan's temptation only had power because Eve was focused on what she did not have rather than on what she did have. See, that's the, listen, this is such an important point. Grab a hold of this. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is the power of sin. That's the power of sin. It tries, it, the power of sin, it tries to keep you focused on what you don't have and tries to keep your attention off of what God has already done for you. Did you hear that? Let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to let that simmer for just a second. The power of sin is that it tries to keep you focused on what you don't have rather than what God has already blessed you with. And listen, you may not have thought of this before. That right there is how sin entered the world. The mess that we're in ladies and gentlemen, is because of that concept right there that someone wasn't content in the perfect situation they were in and thought there had to be more. They weren't satisfied with what they had. They were focused on what they did not have. The one thing, the one thing that they did not have, that's what they focused on rather than being so thankful for all that God had already given. And we have suffered from that scenario and that particular frame of thinking ever since. Don and I have been in ministry in various aspects for a number of years now. We've known a lot of people, seen a lot of people come and go, uh, seen a lot of marriages crash and burn. And I can tell you this, um, every time we've seen a marriage crash and burn, every Time without fail, 100% of the time, it's because someone was focused on what they did not have rather than what God had already blessed them with. And you know what they do? They decide, I didn't sign up for this, uh, this is too much trouble, I'm, I'm out of here. And you know what they do? They go get married to somebody else and they just trade in problems. So they may have gotten rid of the, the first problem they had with the previous spouse, but they move on to a different spouse, and now it's a whole new set of problems that they didn't anticipate. And sometimes they're a lot worse than the, than the previous ones. Am I talking to anybody this morning? <laughs> that is the lure of sin, right? There's a hook in the bait, folks. That's why Hollywood... And, and, and commercials, marketing, has done such a disservice to us as a society. Because, you know, the, the way that Hollywood paints marriages is that, oh, it's got to be, you know, goosebumpy all the time. And they, I won't ask you to raise your hand. How many of you ladies watch Hallmark? Don't raise your hand. But, but Hallmark, you know... And they're good, clean movies, so okay, I'm, I'm good with that. But here's the thing. It's not really, at least part of it, is not really reality. Because they paint this wonderful, goosebumpy scenario where these two people get together. And then once they get together, that's the end of the movie. Yeah. 
Th that's like the conclusion of the matter. Live happily ever after. No, they just got started. Come on. They just got, they've got, they're going to have their ups and their downs, their challenges, their heartbreaks, their fights. And that's life, folks. I mean, the, the goosebumpy part of the relationship is prior to saying, I do. But once you say, I do, that's sometimes when all hell breaks loose. You've got to keep on keeping on. Uh, I mean, if love is a commitment, folks, it's not a goosebump. Can I say that again? Love is a commitment, not a goosebump. Okay? Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, we're having fun now, aren't we? See, these commercials uh, will, will make the, the food look so mouth-watering, but they don't tell you about, you know, the 5,000 calories you're going to pack on to eating that thing. Right? Sin has a hook in the bait. It's instant gratification for a price that you pay afterward. But God's ways are exactly the opposite. You've heard me say it dozens of times by now. That God's kingdom is exactly the opposite. There's sacrifice in the front end for a reward on the back end. Praise God. That's why 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says something very profound that I want you to really get this morning. Godliness with, who knows? Thank you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you can find contentment in your present situation, you'll be so much better off. Okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go here too. You know, you see all these people marriage hopping, and they just, like I said, trade in problems. But you know what? People do that with their jobs, and people do that with churches. Oh, come on. I see people, I mean, I don't know how many people. Listen, I've had people. <laughs> oh, God help us. I've had people say to me, seriously, oh, Pastor Andy, thank God led me to this church. And, oh, I thank God for you, and I thank God for this ministry. I know that I know that God led me here. They're gone in six months. Why? Because they got offended at somebody. They got their little feathers ruffled. They got their little tender feelings hurt. They got a little, their little toes stepped on by somebody. Or maybe the pastor gave them a word that they didn't really like. I've had people come to me for marriage counseling before, and I've told them point blank something from the Scriptures. They didn't want to hear that. Now they never... They, they never come back. You know, a wife, for example, wants to just complain about her husband. And so, I've, seriously, I've sat in conversations with someone, like, going off about their spouse. And like, and then I give them a little scriptural truth right here. And, they, no, they didn't want to hear that. They, don't, they, they wanted to use me as a sounding board and to have them, me pat them on their head and say, oh, it's going to be okay. I know he's a jerk. That's what they wanted to hear. But when I give them some biblical truth, they're like, bam, right between the eyes. And like, I didn't, come, I didn't sign up for that. I'm out of here. 
Folks, listen. If you can find some contentment in your current situation, you'll be so much better off rather than just trading problems. Because guess what happens to, to church hoppers that, that hop churches because they, didn't, they heard something they didn't want to hear? They'll go to the next church, and they'll be oh so happy for six months to a year, and then somebody else is going to ruffle their feathers. They're going to be out of that church too. And some people have hopped around ten churches in ten years and four or five spouses in about that period of time. And I know people that change jobs every two years for the same reason. And rather than growing in their careers, they just make these lateral moves, and now 15 years have passed, and they're still making the same amount of money they made 15 years ago. Hello. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Whew, we're getting into some stuff this morning, aren't we? I want to tell you about God's will for your life for a moment. This is right out of the scriptures, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. says this, Rejoice at all times. Amen. At all times. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever, ever thought about, well, man, what's God's will for me? What's God's call on my life? I just told you. It's right out of his word. Rejoice at all times, pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you do that, then God's calling on your life will begin to unfold when you obey him in the little things. McFly. Is there anybody home? Obey him in the little things, the bigger things will unfold in his timing. A lot of people are looking for a great big calling from God, but they're not obeying him in the little things. And God said, I can't use you until you obey me in the little things. Once you do that, then the bigger things will unfold in time. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's, go, it's about to get stickier. <laughs> Samantha up here on the front row says, bring it. Okay. Two weeks ago, we talked about lukewarmness and compromise. And I want to add a quote to that part of our discussion because it does relate to this point about rejoicing at all times. So I'm going to give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who was not a person that really minced words. And he said this, lukewarmness is a way of saying, God, I believe in you, but you just don't excite me. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. That's exactly right. That's why so many people just want to be stroked a little bit. They don't want God's word because of things that God don't excite them. <laughs> Is anybody awake this morning? See, and, and listen, it's oh so easy to become lukewarm when you let yourself forget all that God has already done for you. And when you fail to rejoice in the bountiful blessings that he's put upon your table. Yeah, go ahead. Don't, don't patty cake around. Give the Lord a praise offering. Praise God. Praise God. You know, I had... Um, 
dinner with my dad recently. He's a snowbird. He, uh, he and his wife uh, live down in Florida um, half of the year, and they come up here um, when it's warm. And uh, so he's, he got back in town recently. He's almost 90 years of age, and um, he and two of his, his old buddies are building a home-built airplane at almost 90 years of age. So I was talking to him the other day, and, and I said, well, how's it going? And, and how are your other two friends doing? Because they're up in years, too. And he said, well, one of my friends had to drop out of the project because uh, he just had his leg amputated. So he had some, I don't know if it was blood sugar issues or he had some, had some nerve issues. They amputated his toes at first, and that didn't work out. And I think they amputated his foot next, and it has just has continued. And so now they've amputated his leg below the knee. And so he's just, he's had to abandon that airplane building project. And I, I sat there listening to that, and I said, you know, sometimes we think we have horrible problems until we look upon someone else and see their problems. And then it makes us thankful. And then, you know, I hear stories like that, and, you know, it makes me want to kick my legs around and go, thank, thank you, thank you for my legs. I mean, I got two strong legs, and regardless of what other hellish things might be going on around me, I can run around with my grandkids, I can run around with my son, and, and I got two strong legs and two strong arms and eyes that see and ears that hear. And not everybody has that. And I, I at least can thank God for that much, hallelujah. So you can always think of something to be thankful for. So let's remind ourselves of a fundamental passage in this series uh, before we come to a close. And this is a, a passage that I've shared with you before, but let's remind ourselves of it again. Oh, oh yeah, I've got this quote first before we go to that passage. I forgot that was there. Uh, but yeah, this is a great quote. So let's go ahead and read this, and then we'll read our passage. Marcus Aurelius said this, Do not indulge in dreams of having what you have not, but reckon up the chief of the blessings you do possess, and then thankfully remember how you would crave for them if they were not yours. Wow. Wow. That's exactly right. All right. So we're starting to begin to think about maybe starting to come to a close. Maybe. Uh, let's read this passage. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform. Do not conform. Do not conform. Do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But just as he who's called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, let me lay a little bit of a heavy on you here for a moment before we start to draw to a close here. Start the process of coming to a close. You know how us pastors are, right? There's a process in coming to a close. Anyway. Hebrews 12, 14. Anybody know what that says? Hebrews 12, 14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, it's the holiness, ladies and gentlemen, that's evidence that you have been saved. Now, I know it's a progressive process. If you got saved yesterday, you may not 
you know, be where you're going to be in 10 years. And if you've been saved for 10 years, you're probably not right now where you will be in another 10 years. So there's a, there's a process. But that progression, that process of holiness is evidence that you have been saved. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord because without that process of holiness going on, I have to doubt that someone's even been saved. If there's not some degree of, of evidence that they're growing in holiness. See, so that's why I quote to you so often that the grace of God that has appeared to all men teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. That's Titus chapter 2. So yes, the grace of God is a free gift, but if you truly experience the grace of God, you ought to be progressively becoming more Christ-like. That's what that means. And this is a very sober thought from Hebrews 12, 14 that I just quoted you. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That ought to scare you. Now, you might be saying, well, Pastor Andy, you, you shouldn't be trying to scare us because, you know, everything's by grace. No, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Like I quoted Keith Moore two weeks ago, grace is God's part. Obedience is our part. And if you've not truly experienced the grace of God, there won't be any evidence of, of holiness. Without the evidence of holiness, you may not have even experienced the grace of God. That's the part that should scare us. Because the Bible says to examine yourself, to see if you're really in the faith. Did you know it says that? Examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. Praise God. All right, this is my last slide. Let me give you some summary thoughts here for a moment. First of all, when you focus more on what you do have and a lifestyle of thankfulness, then your desire or lust for the things that you don't have tend to lose their power. So that's a key thought for this morning I want you to take home with you. That's kind of the handle that you're grabbing onto this morning. Okay? When you focus more on what you do have and live a lifestyle of thankfulness, then your desire or lust for the things that you don't have tend to lose their power. All right? And it really is as simple as that. But let me give you another thought here from Psalm 8 2. Uh, and again, this is on the point of uh, praise and worship. You have ordained praise on account of your adversaries to silence the enemy and the avenger. There's something about thankfulness. There's something about praise that lifts your countenance, that, that changes your focus. Yeah? Changes your focus. And that's going to lift your mood, make you happier, full of the joy of the Lord, even though there may be hell going on around you. Do you worship the Lord... And somehow, some way, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding that begins to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, pearls, you know this, pearls are formed under pressure. Diamonds are formed under pressure. So we need to learn to rejoice during times of trial, disappointment, and yes, even temptation. Charles Spurgeon also says, get this, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me against the rock of ages. Mm. 
Mm-mm-mm. See, the only time we can rejoice in the middle of trials and temptations and disappointments is right here in this life. You won't have the opportunity to do that in heaven because you won't have any trials, disappointments, and, 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 and temptations in heaven. The only time you can do that is right here, right now. So even in the moments of our greatest pressure or pain, he's still worthy of praise. He's still worthy of praise. And it's most effective, praise and worship and thanksgiving is most effective when you wouldn't do it normally. See, the greater the pressure or pain, the greater the disappointment, the more intentional the offering has to be. The more intentional the offering. And that's part of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith and not by sight. You know, listen, on a closing note, the Bible tells us that the people of Israel, ancient Israel, only rejoiced in God's works. But Moses rejoiced in God's ways. You know what that means? It means Israel, the people of Israel, only rejoiced in God's miracles and his provision, his works. But Moses rejoiced in God's ways. He had an intimate relationship with the Lord. And it's in that kind of divine romance, ladies and gentlemen, it's in that kind of divine romance that we find divine order for our lives. I'm going to give you a closing quote and then we're done. H.A. Ironside said this, we would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. And I'll add that Thanksgiving takes the wind out of the sails of sin. Stand with me if you will. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.